one of which we can all attest to this quarantine and this isolation time, they're all affecting this physical human experience and giving yourself the time to process that you're taking in and absorbing so much energy will help you to better move through the world. And it's wild how kind it is to listen. And it's great because you can listen or not. And maybe you're just like, I'm, I'm going to avoid it. And I'm going to just sit in the pain and discomfort. That's a choice too. Yeah, that, that kindness of saying, okay, where is it coming from? And then what am I choosing to do about it? What am I inviting to help make that energy shift so that I can move better and move better, meaning I can live better, I can breathe better, I can sit better, I can stand better, all of the things. Welcome to This Thing Called Movement, a podcast exploring our relationship to movement and how it impacts every other facet of our lives. I'm your host, Marie Janicek, movement guide and co-founder of Evolna, an intuitive movement lifestyle company helping people create a more fulfilling relationship to their body and self. Through my experiences in the worlds of dance and fitness, I've always been deeply connected to movement and fascinated by how it shapes us. Join me as I dive into conversations with esteemed professionals from a variety of fields and backgrounds. Together, we'll gain insight into their personal movement experiences, the transformations that resulted, and how movement has affected their lives at large. I hope this podcast inspires and empowers you to create a more authentic relationship with your body as you experience the tremendous ripple effect movement can have on all other facets of your life. New episodes will be released on Friday mornings every other week. In the meantime, enjoy. Today's guest is Candice Tobbs, and I am so thrilled to have her on with us because she provides such powerful wisdom in all of her work. Candice is a New York City-based dancer, performing artist, and fitness professional, and she and I met during our stint at Barnard College where she studied both neuroscience and dance. Candice explores the conversation between modern hip-hop and dances of the African diaspora in her work. Given that we are both dancers and professionals in the fitness industry, it's so nice to be able to talk about the intersection of these two worlds, how movement feeds into both of them, and the underlying principles that are most nourishing from both of these environments that we can all access at any time. Candice, it is so good to have you on this thing called movement. You and I have had our lives woven together for a long while now. I think it's something like 12 years since I started at Barnard, right? Yeah. Yeah, it has been a while. Wow. I, I didn't realize it. I'm so glad I'm so happy to be here. We've always had such a connected approach to how we've taught us both having sort of treaded these waters of the magic of creating and being creative and dance and having that ability to tap into that really powerful flow of energy. And then also being in the place of fitness where everything is like so structured and regimented and the interesting juxtaposition those two worlds hold. And so I, I've always just had such tremendous admiration for how you present yourself and all the ways you do. So I'm really excited to be able to dig deeper into your your thought process and your experience here in this crazy time of quarantine. 
Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's so interesting to think about how we are so there's so so every everyone is walking into the room and room being in air quotes now because this <laughs> but, uh, we, have, we have these things we have what we need we might not know that we have what we need but we have what we need to figure out how to connect with what whatever we need to connect with maybe it's joy maybe it's um relieving stress maybe it's just figuring out why my shoulders is tight today and it's just it's really beautiful kind of, to kind of just be that conduit that vessel for allowing that energy to be received and exchanged by people in, in community so that's mm. it, it's a joy to kind of in that movement yeah and i mean similarly to myself you're in these industries that have been most directly affected by the lockdown and by the constraints of this virus so what has your experience been since, you know, that fateful week in March, like what's been going on for you as a result of coronavirus? Of course, I remember like it was yesterday, March 14th. It's definitely been interesting kind of navigating how to transition um, experiences that are very much in person, very much feeling the energy of the room, ways to navigate people in spaces and how to make that something that we can still access online, whether it's platforms, plus me, it's just my faith versus where it's like a more of an exchange. And then it was also realizing it's also okay to step back. I mean, to figure like it's important to try and put things out and stay connected in ways that feel good, but then also get a step back and say, okay, I need some time to, for myself. I need some time to make sure that the person who is entering the spaces with you is good. And so it's been that road and that transition from like, okay, I have to figure out how to teach and how to my workouts online and how to and my hands are going crazy because it was just it was all of these things and getting all this information from various sources and organizations like this is how you need to transition and all this expectation and I tried it and I was trying to ride the wave and and then I was like oh no my timing is mine I need to reassess step back and be okay with stepping back and slowing down and knowing what I offer will be of value when it is right for me to offer it. So now I'm working on myself and uh, being kind of quiet in my overall offerings experience. It, it's, been, it's been good. It's been good. I think with this quieter time, I'm ready to then see what's next. Because now we're in the space of reopening and thinking about how we're transitioning to what's next. And so I think being intentional about making sure that I'm okay and feel good and feel the what's next that I'm receiving it with more open arms. Mm. It's almost like being more centered. I almost forget. I think the trauma of it was so intense. Like (laughs) midway through March, lockdown happens and the pressure, I mean, and I didn't even work for anybody. It was just myself, but the pressure to have things immediately figured out and translated so that they're the exact same. And I remember feeling the shock of that and even noticing for myself, the same doesn't imply to me. Like Mm -hmm. I can't work out in my space like I used to, nor do I want to. And I don't even think I'm mentally or psychologically or energetically equipped to do this. And I watched my clients' bodies get really rigid and shut down. It was so intense. And I'm glad you brought that up. What did you see happening with people's bodies as a result of that shift? I definitely felt that and saw the tension in the forcing, really. It's like forcing, trying to make it work in translating something that you experience in one way and 
trying to make it work and fit it into this new box. I would see folks who would assume that where they were energetically and in their bodies to do this really hard, challenging workout. It wasn't where their bodies were when they were at home and dealing with so much more physically, mentally, and emotionally. And you would see people who wouldn't get injured or wouldn't have overuse stressors present themselves in the body, getting like, oh, my back hurts now, or oh, I have this something in my neck. Oh, my hips feel like there are changes happening. The more you try to force the firmness, the, the more your body, your energy will be like, hmm, you need to work some things out, slow, slow down, work some things out first. The the humor of the universe is just so sublime. A lot of the pain points for most people, whether it's like physical issues or being online for everything and now sitting more and moving less and having less freedom. This was kind of an amplification of this low level experience we already had at play with our bodies for a long time before. We had it all magnified and we were pushed into that more full time. And so I noticed a lot of the issues I'd already been working with people on for for years, some of them, were coming back and stronger because again, like these patterns you're already trying to shift out of suddenly were so much more present. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, I've always a staunch believer in the evolution of things like moving towards betterment all Always, even if it doesn't look like it. And so I'm always looking for that silver lining in the cloud. And I found myself having multiple conversations of, well, this isn't actually new. It's just you're in it, like you're really in it for the first time. So how can we soak up all this information that our body is sending and really receive that message, really honor this dialogue and then do something with it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I'm loving about the journey that I'm on now, thinking more about how your energy systems are uh, reflected in the body, is that your your body is the last to know. Like stuff that has been going on, energies that you've been receiving, people's uh, energies with different uh, situations that have come up, circumstances in your life, one of which we can all attest to, this quarantine and this isolation time, they're all affecting this physical human experience. And giving yourself the time to process that you're taking in and absorbing so much energy will help you to better move through the world. And it's wild how kind it is to listen. And it's great because you can listen or not. And maybe you're just like, I'm I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to just sit in the pain and discomfort. That's a choice too. Yeah, that kindness of saying, okay, where is it coming from? And then what am I choosing to do about it? What am I inviting to help make that energy shift so that I can move better and move better, meaning I can live better, I can breathe better, I can sit better, I can stand better, all of the things. Mm. Wow. I'm like just sitting with that phrase, how kind it is to listen. It's such a powerful mantra because it's it reflects in so many different ways. It reflects about listening to our intuition, listening to our hearts you know, listening to our bodies, listening to each other. How can we talk about Corona and then not talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, which Mm -hmm. was, it was interesting to watch this wave of like two, three months into quarantine, people start settling in and then this eruption happens. I just can't help but think about how it's so kind to listen. As challenging as that was, I think that was really the big ask of that time was to listen to see, to listen, hear these stories of people who, you know, 
because you haven't been in this experience, you wouldn't know. And, and my only connection to being able to understand a shred of what a black person goes through in this country or even in the world at large is through my experience as a woman with gender discrimination. And I know so vividly what that's like trying to explain to a man what that dynamic is like and watching the glazed look and feeling so trapped in that to be watching the surge of this information come up and then to have to acknowledge my part in that, how I did in some ways what men have done to me and how frustrating that was. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it was a really tough time. And I, I love what you said about the kindness and listening because that's always the first step. And sometimes listening isn't fun. It's not comfortable mm -hmm. and it's, challenging, you know, because it forces you to reorient yourself. But this actually leads me into a question I really wanted to ask today, which is what was your experience as a black woman, as a black fitness practitioner, black dancer, witnessing the rise and the evolution of the Black Lives Matter movement within the pandemic? Mm -hmm. I think first, thinking about the kindness and listening, I guess, moving from there, it has been so affirming to see Black thinkers, artists, social workers, and writers speak to the moment with full understanding that this isn't new. We, we have been saying collectively this for a long time in many ways, but to lean on their words and their crafting and their labor when I couldn't find the words myself has been really powerful and supporting. And then I also am thinking about those who are listening and what does that mean? I'm thinking about how it's so necessary for the listener to have kindness without expectation. Because what you're listening to may be uncomfortable. It may be bring up stuff for you. But what you are hearing, it is not the responsibility of the speaker to make you comfortable. It's not responsibility of the, the speaker to make it a, a palatable story, right? So it's supporting the community and speaking in all the ways that we sit in our privileges. And it goes beyond, or there's intersectionality with the Black Lives Matter movement and disability issues and gender issues and class issues and neurospectral issues. We sit in different privileges um, that we can all be listeners, but I think it's so necessary to do that. And then say, then, and now what? We've heard the information. Now what am I going to do about it? How am I going to uphold the responsibility that I have as a listener to now be a doer? Kind of then seeing how we as society are charging ourselves with and charging each other with the doing. That's been an interesting shifting to be a witness to as well. Mm. Yeah. And I know for me, as all this was coming up, my biggest concern is like, okay, so the Black Lives Matter movement has been at play for a while. So if it's resurging now, that means the shift hasn't happened. I know there's so many things that need to happen for this shift to actually occur, for racism to no longer really be something we have to be actively against. So we don't have to have these conversations with our children. And I know personally, I was very quiet during this time for several reasons. I wanted to listen. 
I felt it was more important for my voice and my presence to not be there. Instead, receiving and doing what the work that I could on my end and not necessarily presenting it. I, I felt there was a level of presenting the work that I was doing didn't feel in alignment with the message coming through, especially in June and July. And I was more concerned about, well, if this is still at play now, how do we ensure that this time we actually handle it collectively? There's still so much to be done, but have you seen any changes actually start to take place as a result of this? Has there been something personally that you've noticed shift within the fabric of your life? Hmm. There's been a shift toward self-care, toward saying, I don't have to grind and bust my behind day in, day out, trying to make this idea of what a purposeful movement uh, facilitator, fitness instructor looks like and be all of the things and do nothing and that be that be still valid. You know what I mean? That shift kind of remind myself of the permission that I have to not feel pressured to perform mm. has been what I felt personally most in this time. Rest is necessary. Rest is resistance. Having space for that. We get to rest and, and we, I'm speaking to so many of the artists, thinkers, activists who are working capital. I'm always wondering how can I support the people who are doing the work? Because I know the burden is heavy, but I'm also seeing how there is support there for rest. Mm. That you can recharge there's someone there to pass the baton to so that when you're ready to come back in the ways that you need to come back, you can. Mm. That was challenging for me too, recognizing the burden of oppression in conscious and subconscious ways, like how insidious this has really been. And as I started really placing myself in that position of imagining what that experience is like. I'm sure even parts of it you didn't know were weighing on you. And I think when you realize there's that burden, like it's in many ways making the decision to rest and and to yeah practice that self-care, but more like self-love in many ways, that is actually, that is part of the equation to just put the effort down. And I can also imagine people who are at the work feeling like, <gasps> That sense of pressure, like this is our moment. We have to go. We have to run. If we don't, like we're going to get stuck again. And I see that in small pieces running my business and in my relationship with my body. Pressure is so predominant in our world. But I do feel that like the more each of us decides to not play into it, that that is actually one of these hidden keys in actually unwinding this puzzle. Most suppression and oppression is all about this pressure of needing to prove yourself, of needing to overwork yourself, of self-sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And every time you self-sacrifice, you divest yourself of your true power, your light, your ability to work mm -hmm. from that place where, where it has most impact. So I love hearing that you've been able to take that for yourself. And like, I really hope people hear that and register it and allow it to marinate as well. Yeah, I'm pausing because it's this interesting thing about oppression and weight and thinking specifically toward racial injustice and, and racism 
like the weight, the root of that weight is not being seen as human, which is so wild for want of a better word. But how do we now have this human experience amidst this system that wants all powers at play to enforce this idea that we're not? Hmm. How do we then grow from there? We have been in figuring out how to, but how do we really, and this, this is that capital W work that has been going on, but it's just interesting to really, to say it for myself, like how do we really get to that place where that pressure is lifted because we are all humans still? There's so many layers to it. You know, I think that's what felt so paralyzing to me is it's like, knowing that our internal experience is our external experience and witnessing how so many people are so disconnected to themselves in all these ways. One of my like big things that I center on is our relationship to our body. The dialogue we have with our body, how we initiate ourselves into our movement practices, which are supposed to be for health and wellness, and how often that's coming from a place of self-judgment, self-hatred, anger, disgust, like fear, feeling weak. And it's like, well, if these micro actions of going out for a run, taking your yoga class, like eating that salad are coming from that energy, no wonder we've been able to perpetuate this category of certain people being less than, of certain people not being our equivalent. Because we are in this dynamic internally. When we're talking about self-care, like that word gets used in a lot of different ways. But I think the fundamental intent of it is so important to pay attention to that quality of the energy, the, the tone of how you make decisions, mm -hmm. um, what emotion is driving you. And, and it's been really interesting to look at that balance of, is it a reaction or is it a response? And a response often means you have to hold space for that discomfort. And I, for me, I think the real magic of Black Lives Matter this round has been that people on a grand scale touched base with discomfort. Now, some people did it better than others. Some people were willing to sit with it. Others were not. But I've never, ever in my life seen and felt people sit with that energy before. And I think that was a huge win, right? It, and yes, may, many things haven't come together the way we want yet, but that was such an important step. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hear that. And going back to uh, your point about the response versus a reaction, it's like all we have control over is ourselves. All we have control over are the thoughts that we, we tell ourselves about everything, whether we are privy to the damage and harm that they're doing because we don't take the time to listen. Again, that, that kind listening, um, take the time to listen to those thoughts. But we can't control, we as an ev everyone, people cannot control the circumstances, but we can control ourselves. So how are we now being the energy, like the, the manifestation of the energy that we want to receive. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I'm thinking to, the, to this moment, like 
if you, as a listener to someone who's speaking of their oppression, want to feel what the true freedom from uh, discomfort feels like, it's getting way into that discomfort and then coming out of the other side. You can't, there's no way out but through. Because unless you go deeper, you're just bouncing out. Yeah. And you don't have clarity. You don't have understanding. You don't even have empathy at that point, you know? And so with, without, I think empathy is really a practice of feeling into somebody's experience without having to directly go through it. So putting yourself so deeply in it as though it is yours, allowing yourself to assimilate and embody it so that through that lens, you have the tools and you are equipped to actually move from that point of understanding. And that is why entering that discomfort is so important. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's something that I think about a lot. Like I'll never forget listening to this. I think it was a commencement speech that JK Rowling did. I can't remember the specifics, but she said, what separates us from the rest of the animals on this planet is our ability to imagine. Hmm. Because when we imagine, we can live in different worlds. We can live in different experiences. And we don't actually have to experience something personally in order to understand and feel it. And this is our greatest gift. And this is something we need to use responsibly. The major shift COVID is asking us to look at is like, how are we relating to everything? to our planet, to ourselves, to each other, to our politics, to our economy, to our health, like all of it. Mm -hmm. And the truth is most of us have been on this hamster wheel of doing the pressure of being good enough, of proving ourselves, of getting it done, making it work, and all of that productivity bypassing that we haven't allowed ourselves to feel. And actually we've been so conditioned into how we need to avoid that. But feeling is our way in. Feeling is our primary mechanism for understanding. It is our primary mechanism for being able to improve our lives, our the lives of others, you know? So it's been really fascinating for me to think about that imagination, its connection to emotion and how, again, brilliantly this pandemic, despite like the difficulty of it has positioned us into this exact moment where, you know, it, it's, it's asking us to feel. Yeah, I agree. It's so interesting uh, seeing, experiencing, hearing all the ways that imagination has carried us through this time from the integration of watching Netflix and listening to <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but but that, that sentiment, being able to watch and receive and to engage with art in all the ways that bring us laughter and joy and keep keep us thinking, keep us thinking about greater issues to celebrating people who are like, I didn't realize how much I needed to pick up my pencils and start drawing. I didn't realize how I really wanted to do this mixed media collage work. And now I have the time and I'm processing things and getting stuff out. And that's all um, the, the last two, rather, the latter are more physicalizations. There's, there's, there's a movement practice in there. But it, it's, it's beautiful that 
we are tapping into all the ways we can really imagine and not letting the fear of all of that, which is uncertain right now, take away from how valuable it is to imagine and create just because you had an extra hour and or an extra day or an extra week or four months, you know, and it's, it's beautiful to see that space opening up. Mm. Probably my favorite moment in all this has been watching Black Joy. As as the movement unfolded and I started to watch that hashtag pop up and, you know, I'd already found myself kind of intuitively leaning into these forms of Black creativity, ingenuity and expression, which... You know, even in, even when I was deciding to come to Barnard, I remember I was like a big convention kid, the NYCDA convention circuit. And I remember the nationals, they had Azure Barton and Robert Battle teaching master classes. And it was so interesting how, because those weren't part of the convention and that a whole audition process, I would say 70% of the attendees didn't show up to those classes, but I did. And I remembered being so like, especially Robert Battle the visceral intensity of the work, just like how physical it was, but how enlivening it was. And I remember that was my moment of like modern dance. Yes. Like I'm ready for New York was because it was just so magnetic. And even my time at Barnard, the work I connected to the most, the choreographers I connected to the most were always black artists, the music always, you know, black inspired or black created. And um, even now with most of my classes and the music I lean into, it's, it's all from this space of humanity. Mm. You and I spoke about this before we touched base here today about how I was shocked to find how much of that influence is in like white artistry too. How many of these tracks that I love that I thought were actually created by black artists and creators and musicians are actually white DJs. And I'm frustrated because I know where this comes from. I had the privilege to be able to study about it in school, to be able to experience it directly from the creators themselves, to have, you know, such purity of it. And, and I want to know, like, how do we, how do we honor and embrace these influences? Because they're everywhere, right? They're everywhere. Almost everything that's really good, (laughs) especially in America was like created by black people. And I'm curious if, you have any thoughts or ideas how we can all do a better job of bringing that recognition and honor in and like lifting up this really essential and powerful and beautiful component of humanity that we all are actually indulging in all the time. Mm -hmm. Hmm, That's an interesting, that's an interesting question. Letting our history be seen in the ways that we experience it on a daily basis. Because out of the oppression and uh, slavery and Jim Crow and all, all the things that came after that. We have the rhythm and blues, we have the rock and roll, we have the, and that's not even talking about the greater African diasporic connections, but specifically to the African-American experience, it's will we honor the truth of the history that got us here? What will we do too? honor the trauma and the oppression that created and birthed the need to find Black joy as resistance, the need to find uh, voice and bring about voice and creativity and uh, performance and celebration. Because we, as Black people, are not a monolith and our 
story isn't either. So we get to have all of the size. I guess maybe it's more of a challenge. How can we honor the realities of the history that wasn't taught in most schools? That's a whole nother conversation in and of itself. Uh, but how do you honor what was and how that shaped how we get to be now? Hmm. One video I'm thinking of in Black Joy, it's a beautiful video of, women, of Black women and femmes just dancing. And it's made in this time, this uh, quarantine time. So there's just beautiful flashes of artists moving in their own spaces together and washing of joy and femininity and presence. We get to honor that. I almost wonder if we can always make sure to remember the history that birthed this expression, this beauty, this ingenuity. And in honoring how that suppression and oppression molded something beautiful. It's how a fire actually refertilizes the soil so the new forest can grow more lush and verdant than before. <laughs> Talking about how Black people are not seen as human. In some ways, this is sort of an acknowledgement of their triumph and the, the true gemstones of humanity, the true diamonds that have uh, been created as a result of these circumstances, not to brush off the oppression and the dehumanization as like, oh, that was okay because, but to acknowledge that same kind of reverence people put in towards the Holocaust. For me, what was so striking, especially around Juneteenth was not only was that not taught in schools, like that was my first time hearing about it. I'm 30 years old. Like that for me felt like such a slap in the face you know, as an adult to like have never heard about this before. And also to look at different things in history that were traumatic that have chosen to be highlighted and then have something that's been so much more egregious, long-term, affected so many more people, like multi-generationally and how that's not spoken about. Like you're saying, the rest and then the joy is the resistance because... That to me feels like the most authentic acknowledgement of humanity. It's the most pure celebration of another human being and wanting to have reverence for who they are and the unique being that they are and to recognize their experiences and be able to create emotional, empathetic connection through that joy and also through the recognition of what people have gone through to birth that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We cannot afford to assume what is presented is the full story. Not that it's a story that, not that we are in, in need of, but going back to music, for example, if that white artist who has this uh, beautiful track that connects to Africanist African diasporic sounds and sensibilities and, and nuances. How are we asking more of our ears to say, this is just the beginning. How can I go deeper? How can I then find my music influences so that I understand the whole chain so that it is rooted in that history? Because there's countless experiences and examples of artists across genres have had music and ideas and of recordings and they were not valued until someone else's face was uh, the package for it. So honoring that we have to peel back the layers. 
I remember learning African dance forms in college and they're polyrhythmic. Typically when you learn dance steps, you're looking at one rhythm at a time and your whole body is moving in step with that rhythm. You find a flow for it all to work together. In most African-based dance forms, it is polyrhythmic, meaning you have several different rhythms at play within your entire body at the same time. It is incredibly complex. It is incredibly sophisticated. And I remember just being blown away by this because to me, this felt like a superhuman technology. How well we move in our bodies and our fluency with our bodies is so intimately connected to our cognitive capacity, to our emotional intelligence, to our ability to see both the small scale change and the large scale effects as a result. And I remember watching what most African cultures relationship to movement is, how it's just ingrained. It's a part of life. And I remember watching that and feeling so connected to that and lusting after it being like a white girl here in America where movement isn't valued. There was something that felt so much more real and authentic to being a human being that I, I felt in Black movement forms and Black dance and in African cultures. And I just felt so heartbroken that I didn't have as direct a line of access to that. Hmm. That's interesting because I would, I would say you kind of uh, hinted to it when saying the, the African cultures, because the, the dance isn't something that you do, it's a part of who you are. And finding ways to, wherever we find ourselves in the world, to let movement be a part of who we are, as opposed to something that we have to do, um, mm. makes our connection to it that much more rich. So it's not this task to overcome because thinking very Western, we have to get this move. We have to get that eight count. We have to make sure that our lines are precise, not to say that that isn't present in other places in the world and that um, specificity and that attack, for lack of a better word, isn't present. But there's also this understanding that the rhythm and the drum and the music behind it, understanding why we do these dances when, why what is happening culturally in community that offers space for these dances that need to be taught. And also I'm thinking, reflecting to here being my uh, experience in the United States, that you can't rush true understanding. Done ballet tap and jazz since I was three makes me a professional dancer. When one can study one dance from, and not just um, countries in Africa, but also thinking about traditional uh, Chinese dances, traditional uh, Japanese dances, etc. One dance, their entire life, and not be what they are focused on mastering because there are so many components that it's a full expression of a piece of who they are. And mm. that's Kind of interesting to, to think about. What, what is our American cultural dance? Because we don't really have one. Yeah. We're this strange place where there isn't a culture, where all cultures come and they collide. And I think it, it's unique because things happen in this place that don't happen anywhere else, good and bad. But then in terms of having a culture we don't, it's all been hedged through industry, capitalism, this concept of profession, right? I was actually um, teaching dance in China 
And I was part of an effort to teach like American contemporary dance to the Chinese students. And many of them had been studying dance, but it was traditional Chinese forms, which are so much older. And there are thousands of different forms that have been altered. Some of them have been preserved, but it's wild how much is there. And also the span of China as a country, like we think we have diversity. It is laughable in comparison. And, you know, like watching this experience of American forms get taught there, it was a a very interesting experience. There was so much layered into there for me. There was also the fact that there was a lot of competition being taught which they didn't have before. And that was something that I had a little challenge with because I wasn't sure that was something that they needed to like necessarily enrich their experience. But there is a sense of America being this place of freedom. And that's in the dance experience too, which it is, but it's also not. In my experience as a dancer, it was like, yeah, you're free, but you know, you got to be valuable. You got to catch people's eye. And the irony of it is that always happens when you care least about what other people think. When, again, when you go so deep into your experience that everything else falls away, and then you become magnetic in your expression of that form. And the dancers who do that the most consistently know how to tap into that no matter what, I find are the ones who have like the most success in the field, both as uh, performers, as choreographers, as directors, you name it. But the irony is we're not taught that. We're taught the mimicry of it. Mm -hmm. For me, that's what fitness is missing because fitness assumes that if we move our bodies, things happen. I'm like, not actually, because you can be completely somewhere else in your brain going through the motions That does not get you the results. And it's the lie that's perpetual. If you do this this many times, this often, in this sequence with these things, voila, magic happens. And it's it's all about the feeling. Mm -hmm. It's all about where your where your thought and your focus is. And everybody is always so surprised at how little I am like intentionally active with my body. Because when I go in, I'm in like there's nothing else nothing else is going to get through with me in this relationship. And I've found time and time again, that that's really where that is. It's such an intimate exchange. And I always get so frustrated when people don't honor. It's been my biggest gripe about the fitness industry, this disassociation from feeling. And I'm like, no, it is about the feeling. Let's feel like your muscles, like get on fire, feel your breath shorten, feel that exhilaration of your body coming alive. And really speaking to you, like if you get past that discomfort, when you go in, it's just like, oh, this whole world opens up. Allowing movement to be more than the doing, but it's the feeling and how resistant folks are because they're afraid to feel. If we open up, now what? If I'm now more vulnerable, now what? I can't um, perform anymore. I can't continue trading on this this hamster wheel of I'm doing it and doing it and now I'm getting results anymore. I have to really sit with and deal with and confront the real stuff, the real me. Like how do we create spaces to remind people that it's scary, but it's so much fun. No, but it's, <laughs> but it's, it's where the lasting change is made. It's where... Well, 
the, the life change, like I'm saying life change, but the, the life work, that's where the life work is. Because I say to my class, I'm like, what we do here is really preparing us for what's happening outside, preparing us to have that mental clarity for whatever boardroom situation, whatever's happening with your children at home, what, like it's, it's preparing you and allowing you space to reflect on it. So if we really are intentional, like you're saying about what we're doing, how we're doing it, we can access so much more. You know, everybody loves the feeling of dancing. Everyone's terrified of it because to get into that space, you have to be vulnerable. You have to actually not care for once. You have to not be worried about the specifics. And I always tell this in my classes, we think you have to get those steps right to look good and to be accepted. But actually when you start paying attention to the people who give no fucks and just let it all go, you love watching them and you don't care about if they got it right because you're responding to their feeling and their energy. Mm -hmm. And this is what happens in every moment. This is how relationships are formed. This is how careers are made. This is how success is forged. This is where joy is experienced. It is all through that place of just letting go and being yourself and having that vulnerability where you can be unadulterated and authentic in who you are and not trying to fit any mold. And I, I feel movement like is such a powerful place to engage with that mm -hmm. because it doesn't lie. <laughs> yeah. It's all you have is that moment or this moment right now. Can't worry about what's going to happen two minutes from now. Can't worry about what you did, what you didn't do, how you did, you didn't do it. You, a minute ago, last week, being present in the moment right now is what gives you so much. What gives you so much? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, do you feel that sense of presence and awareness in our bodies and in relationship to movement is shifting in any way for you, for others, for the collective? Mm -hmm. I think there is now space, and you were um, alluding to it before, the say, intention of the movement that I'm choosing now. This is what I need. I'm here right now in this moment to do this thing. And I think there's growing space for that and growing space to open up our ideas of what movement has to be nourishing for our bodies. That uh, thinking about myself specifically, like I had a good, I guess maybe like three months where I didn't have weights bigger than five pounds. And like, granted, I'm stronger than one who would like nothing wrong with five pounds, you can get a lot done. But I had been on that hamster wheel of like, I need to get my 10, 15, 20s so that I can get my workout in. If I'm not doing that, if I'm not um, pushing heavy, heavier weights, it's not really, uh, my muscles are going to, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And this, I'm worried about the future. I'm worried about the past, about what I used to be able to have access to. And it's like, no, no, no. You've got those five pounds uh, weights right now. They're going to do the job that they need for your body. You're going to find ways to have joy in the new moves that you create with what you have. And again, tapping into that moment and that being in the moment. We, we get to, yeah, we get to have all of the things if we remember. We get to have what we have right now because this is where we are. Mm, I, I love that. I think that's such a beautiful 
message within within that story. And it's an important reminder. And it sort of inspired me. I'm curious, what was like an unexpected gift of quarantine? How have you been nourishing yourself? And, and also like within that, what's been an unexpected discovery or gift you found in this time? Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely with the journey of my movement practice and kind of falling away from shifting my relationship to dance practice has then opened up spaces for me to think about energy work and what the root of the way I'm moving in life is. And the the time where I was like, oh, I just don't, I don't feel like dancing. I'm, I don't know what all the questions around moving and having or not having people in space and what my improvisational practice is was swirling in my head. And it was like, oh, there's something with your energy. You've been talking about energy. And it was funny, like weeks before our March shutdown explosion (laughs) weeks before we started shutting down, I was having conversations with uh, students and friends about like, where are you holding tension in the body and thinking more intentionally about how I'm articulating energy in our movement practice. And so it was like, this is the time for me to really get into that work. So I've been thankful to the universe for allowing this time for me to really dig deep, learn about my personal energies so that I can share with a deeper understanding about what that really means to be intentional about your energy. And now I'm working on or working toward Reiki certifications and being more well-rounded in what spiritual healing means. I would not have otherwise allowed myself the space to to tap into this learning. Yeah, I, I had a, mine didn't come with COVID. Um, mine came like a few years earlier with a quarter life crisis <laughs> where I, I was aware of energy. I was always interested. In I think I was afraid of pursuing it. Mm-hmm. I was afraid of being judged in some ways. Um, and it took a lot of things in my life collapsing, mm-hmm. most of my identity as a dancer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also realizing I didn't want to be a celebrity trainer or own a gym. <laughs> But like the two paths I'd been were like, nah, um, that I was like, all right, so I know meditation is good, but I struggle to do this. How do I do it? And so I, I essentially dropped movement for meditation for a couple of years. So when this round of COVID hit, like I, I had a, I'd already been like, I'd already dipped into not having movement and knowing it was going to be okay. In fact, I was like thirsting for, I was like, oh, yay, the inner hermit is so excited. Yeah. Uh, but after about two months, I was like, I don't have nature. And like, then I started to go crazy. And so then I hit my process of really understanding what softening into energy means. Mm. Um, the whole new level of appreciating surrender and letting go. Even even in my body, and it and it was fascinating because, like you're saying, with energy, we're getting these signals, um, and our body will tell us when we've not been listening for long enough. It sort of like slowly comes down from like a thought, an impulse, a feeling, an emotion to a state of being, to then like something physical, and then stuff starts happening to you outside. Um, and it's like, well, where are you gonna shift the momentum on that? Are you gonna wait for it to like? 
evolve into that injury? Are you going to wait for it to evolve into a massive collapse of something? Or are you going to listen to it when it's a nudge? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That that kind, that kind listening, like you won't get it right all the time. You won't always know when it's a nudge, when it's really just a kick in your butt. (laughs) (laughs) I say to myself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the beauty in, in that that journey. Mm, yeah, Candice, this has been such a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much for uh, being so vulnerable, so open, and for for willing to share so much of your experience here with us. We appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a really wonderful conversation. Oh, and uh, before we wrap things up, if you have any final thoughts, um, any like tidbits of wisdom you'd like to leave your the audience with here today, like you're welcome to go ahead and share. I would offer indulge in a deep breath or three or four or five. <laughs> Watch what happens. Like just, 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 I'll do that. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much. And we'll be sure to include like links to all the things we mentioned here in the show notes, including how to get in touch with Candice, especially as she starts to open up those Reiki sessions. I'm excited to do one with you soon. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in with us today. You can find contact information and all references made during the show in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and spread the love by sharing with family and friends. If you want to learn more or would like additional support in your movement relationship, head to our website at evolna.com. Be gentle, be generous, and be good to yourself. And have a beautiful day.